I'm going to Scotland in a couple of weeks. What? The Highlands. The Highlands. (laughs) The Highlands. Let's both try to do a Scottish accent and fail. Oh, I. Oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah, um, my sister lives in Scotland and I'm going to go visit her. She's going to be on the podcast, so I'm excited about that. I was like, what should I do in Scotland? Well, I should obviously Hmm. go to a Stonehenge and Mm -hmm. touch one of the stones and then be transported back into like pre-Jacobite times and then um, be abducted by a Highland Laird and then we're going to have a marriage of convenience. I believe I saw that on TripAdvisor or something (laughs) important. A plus, four out of four stars, marriage of convenience. This henge sends you to pre-Jacobite times. (laughs) This one to post-Jacobite times. (laughs) Guys, you should definitely do the pre-Hoftohen times. Check out my travel blog about it. The Analana's podcast. Wendy Analana's podcast. Get literary, get literary. Woo! Hello and welcome to Getting Lit, Alana and Wendy's totally excellent literary podcast. This is series one. Season 2, Episode 7 of our romance novel, Two-Person Book Club. Woohoo! My name is Alana, and I'm one of your hosts today. And I'm Wendy, your other host. Today we're discussing writing a romance novel for dummies by <laughs> Leslie Wanger. Are we going to say, is it Wanger? Is that how we've decided to say it? Or is it Wanger? Wanger. Wanger? You could say Wanger. Wanger, I think we should do that. Everyone has a suggested romance novel name. (laughs) Her romance novel name would be that. (laughs) What what are you drinking, Wendy? Big news, I bought a house. Yay! Yay! And um, that has nothing to do with romance novels. However, I am recording in the first time, for the first time in my new house, the seller left this... uh, red wine bottle of red wine so that's what i'm drinking yay Yay. gifted wine is the best type of wine Mm -hmm. it's called apothic dark red blend Mm. california Mm. 2015 Mm. sounds fancy yeah we expect comments uh from wendy's other sister on how that was the wrong wine (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's good at that she's real good at that (laughs) you know those red blends i know they're pretty awesome you never know what's in that it could be awesome the end yeah what are you drinking alana i am drinking a flit well i'm i'm sipping on um bits and pieces of a flaming dr pepper what um which is a flaming Dr. Pepper. Okay. The, inc- the incredible part about it is it actually has no Dr. Pepper in it. What? And actually, it is not on fire right now, to tell you the truth. But we'll post a video of me making it. It's basically, so this romance novel is a tutorial. So I thought I'd make a cocktail that is like the sort of thing that you have to combine together. So mm-hmm. I thought of a, um, like a bomb drink, which, or like, I liked how the, the Canadians call it a drop shot. I think that's really attractive. And so there's a version of it where you take a beer and then in a separate shot glass you put Amaretto and Everclear and you light it on fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, acting safe. And then you <laughs> drop it into the the beer. <laughs> this sounds really intense. 
Yeah, you drop it in there and then it stops being on fire. And then you're supposed to like down it because I don't know why. Because it's really stupid that you didn't just combine them together. I think that's the thing <laughs> about drop shot drinks is they're so stupid, right? Like just don't drop an entire, like it's so unhygienic to take a cup that was sitting on the table and put it inside of your other drink. Like, it's so, it's only something that frat boys and sorority sisters would do. My apologies to frat boys and sorority sisters. It's so unhygienic. And so you have to drink it really fast so that you don't get syphilis, I guess. Syphilis is the main reason. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I saw that. I remember that from, you know, from my, from my sex ed class. <laughs> Don't drop, um, don't drink Jaeger bombs. <laughs> Jaeger bombs equal syphilis. But it was really fun to make. Um, unfortunately, there was one of the reasons why I'm drinking it in pieces is because um, I broke my shot glass by doing it. Not because it <laughs> broke out of impact. I did not drink any broken glass. But <laughs> that would really up the Annie. Yeah, I think it was too hot, and so it like caused it to separate. Like it was like two different pieces afterwards. Since I used ever. Clear um, <laughs> for this. You're supposed to, a lot of people use 170 proof uh, rum, but mm-hmm. they don't sell that anymore, probably because it's dangerous as hell. Because it tastes like Norma rum and it's like three times as alcoholic. <laughs> so don't do that. Don't try that at home. I used 190 proof alcohol, which said grain alcohol on the outside of it. Very classy. Like, it, it really looks like you should be cleaning engine parts with it. I watched the video, Alana. It's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the funniest part of that video is when um, is when I had to go and get uh, an oven mitt. Because I could... <laughs> Like, like, like it turned, well, also, like, right before this, Wendy was making fun of me for how I lit it on fire, because I, like, put it in the drink. I'm like, I need it. Well, what she didn't see is I previously tried to light the, I bought, like, a 100-proof vodka, and it wouldn't light on fire, so I was very uncertain over how much flame was needed for this activity. <laughs> and then it was, like, too much flame. I know, I and it worried. was like, ah! <laughs> That's yeah. how, and that's how Alana burned her house down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm don't think you should quit your day job and become <laughs> a fraternity brother. I think I is know. what the answer is. No, no more flaming were, drinks. You were very confused through most of that video. <laughs> There's and then I like down it and you like just watch me chug this thing for mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm like, this is this is awkward. It's also because like my husband is like filming the video and I didn't tell him when to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Are you really doing that? Like the whole thing. <laughs> well, we will put it on the website. Yeah. I'm sure you will love it to I'm watch sure Alana will. pick up a shot with a potholder. <laughs> <laughs> It's full of comedy. Writing a romance novel for dummies. For people that don't follow this podcast, we read a lot of romance novels and mm-hmm. we decided to go back to the source this month. Back to the basics. Back to the basics. To the brass tacks. Brass tacks. The nitty gritty. The nitty gritty. The 101. Back to class. It, it, was, uh, it was definitely um, a thing, I think. <laughs> So we read it. It was terrible. It was it really was terrible. 
<laughs> can we agree? Can we, we, we chose a book. So the last time writing romance novel for dummies was, was edited or, or re put out. They haven't put out a new edition of this book, which, so we knew it was dangerous. And the mm-hmm. last time this book was written was 2004. So pre-broadband, pre-recession, when all of the publishing companies just failed, pre-internet for old people, (laughs) there's a lot of pre-stuff going on. Pre-urban fantasy, urban fantasy that started. I would like to bring that out because I feel like Buffy was a big catalyst and Buffy was in the 90s. Yeah, and but I, I think this was pre-Twilight. Yeah, definitely pre-Twilight. Which really cemented the genre yeah. of urban fantasy. Whether, no matter how you feel about Twilight. Definitely pre-Fifty Shades of Grey. Pre-True Blood. Yeah, that's true. That was around 2010-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things. Okay, so this woman, um, <laughs> bless her heart, uh, and I mean that in the southern sense, <laughs> was a publisher or maybe just an editor, editor for She's an editor Harlequin of Harlequin for like 20 something years. So it's funny to me because as an English major and as an aspiring writer, I had taken a lot of classes and when you read, when you read something about like how to write a novel you know, with the big capital N, as in, like, you're going to write the next great American novel and you're going to be a Hemingway, you know, or whatever. When you read how to write a novel from writers is a lot different than how to write a novel from publishers, I found out. Because how to write a novel, like, for instance, Stephen King's book on... I think it's called On Writing or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's this ethereal thing that you just need to, like, grasp. It's like turning smoke into bricks. It's like pray to the god of creativity and find your muse and not be afraid and, you know, really push the label and just let your creativity flow. Like, a lot of it is, like, fear of the blank page, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And then this one was, first you need to make an office. (laughs) What do you need in your office? Well, paper clips. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) This book is very condescending towards the creator in this space. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, yeah, is like she has this very nuts and bolts idea of like what you need. And at one point she makes clear that she thinks you should have office supplies. (laughs) Like, and she describes them as if you've never thought of having office supplies before. You're like, in my home? It's so great. What? Home office supplies? Where am I supposed to get this? From some sort of depot of (laughs) home office supplies? (laughs) Does such a thing exist? (laughs) Oh my god. The first couple of chapters are just her telling you how to, like, become a writer as a profession which apparently means that you're going to apparently we are uh, middle-aged women who are married yeah it's very clear that she thinks everyone who reads this is a middle-aged white woman with children and husband with children who do not respect them and she doesn't respect 
you as well. Like, that's pretty clear from this book, that she does not respect the people who want to write romance novels, despite the fact that she clearly believes in romance novels enough to edit them for a fucking living. Yeah. Right? So I guess one of the big things I had about it is, like, it depicts... So someone who writes a romance novel, I think, is a creator, right? Is an artist in their own way. But she does not treat... And this is something I think happens with a lot of female artists. She does not treat it with any sort of semblance of an expectation of um, competency, yeah. right? Like, she assumes that they're... I mean, it's it's important to talk about rejection. But the way she talks about rejection is very much about, like dealing with negative feedback, right? Which is something which any woman deals with negative feedback. Like, they don't need help with that. (laughs) They need actionable activities that they can do towards a goal. And, like, the fact that, like, she, she makes such a big deal out of, you know, this is the profession these people are creating, possibly professionally, and she makes such a big deal out of asking for childcare. Um, yeah from other people and not even like daycare but like just for your husband to watch your kids for a couple hours so that you can work on your novel she coached us on how to talk to our husband about how you can't always make dinner because now you have a career as a writer (laughs) (laughs) and i was like is there is there like some in between the lines small text that says and you're a terrible mother because i think i think that was in there the thing that's missing in this book as well is like any attempt at diversity, which is really ironic because what did we read last time in this romance novel book club but a book by a person of color about Mm -hmm. people of color? Yeah. Right? And she doesn't really, like, imagine an environment where people would either read books about people of color or be people of color writers. Yeah. Right? Like, she doesn't, she has a very specific idea about what type of person would want to sit down and write a romance novel. And it's really condescending because it assumes that you also haven't read the genre. Right? <laughs> yeah. It, one of her first pieces of, of advice was read books. <laughs> I was like, you think we didn't read book? And then I was like, wait a minute. Is this, is this book for those asshole frat boys? Or sorry, we're picking on frat boys. Those asshole dudes who are like re- writing romance novel. It's easy. I'm going to do it. And then they like don't look up the <laughs> genre. Like they just write something and then they try to publish it and they get upset because who who tries to write a subgenre that they're not familiar with first of all romance novel readers are prolific and just like read all the time so i'm sure like you would want to write in your subgenre of preference well, and I will say that, like, so I have written two romance novels for National Novel Writing Ooh. Month, and I had not really read too much into romance novels when I wrote my first one, besides the fact I've read Outlander. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you might have some preconceptions with the genre, but they're probably correct. Like, it's a pretty stereotypical genre. Yeah, it is. And I didn't need this condescending bullshit to get it done, right? Like, I think I just needed to understand, like... What are the common tropes and how, what are people expecting out of romance novel? She never presents any data in this book. She was like, um, so first you have to start with a man and a woman. And I was like, no, but go on. What? Okay. <laughs> and then and then she has this call out box that says, men read these romance novels too. Uh. And the, her like point 
in that was like sometimes men on oil rigs or are otherwise like really deprived of women like have absolutely no women around read romance novels yeah only men in waiting rooms or who are very <laughs> bored yeah. read romance or, novels. or are completely starved of female just anything female companionship they have to read yeah a she's novel. because men are clearly better than us and they couldn't possibly <laughs> it's funny to me because i remember when i used to in the short very short amount of time i worked in public libraries which was just like a, a, a month i remember someone coming up to me who was a dude who only read who only read like basically mennonite or amish fiction romance novels mm-hmm. like he loved them and he read them voraciously and i and he wasn't the only dude that was like that i read an article about that and how like surprisingly a lot of men read it because um it's just comforting like it's just a comforting genre you know like why wouldn't you like it yeah and i think it's increasingly okay for men to read romance novels mm-hmm. like i think that like as as people have like and the advent which also didn't exist when this book was around but kindle readers you can read anything yeah and people can't see the cover, so I think you people feel more comfortable reading it. It's a fun genre, and with with Christian writing in particular, the woman who was writing the article that I read said that it's just, like, nice to have, to read a novel that reestablishes your values. The focus is on Christianity as well as romance, so people... So it like comes back to your basic beliefs. And I don't know. I think I think a lot of other romances do that as well. Like, yeah, I found the call out box. So and now a word from the men in our audience. Um, And then she says, not a lot of men read in the grand scheme of things, but they definitely do. Most of them are in one of these categories. Men without women. So men Mm. on oil rigs in prison and other places where women are uncommon to non-existent. And men who are a captive audience find romance, a lot of romances in hospitals and senior residences. The men read them along with the women. And I felt like that was really... Yeah, and also, where are you getting your information? And also, like, that is a fascinating idea. Like, to really, like, look deep into the gender dynamics of... Um, romance novels like I would love to read something like that something a lot longer than this that is more (laughs) it would be more interesting than this (laughs) yeah and the other thing she kind of like reminds her audience is is that people often have advanced degrees who read romance novels and you know both Mm -hmm. of us are have bachelors I have a master's yeah and and like I'm like yeah of course they do (laughs) Yeah. Most of the people I know, I mean, it's it's a literary genre, right? Mm-hmm. It's book reading. People don't read books very often. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I also thought that, like, the fact that there's no discussion of gay romance yeah. or of, of men and men and women and women at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I mean, not to say that there's a whole lot of romance novels, a lot of it becomes erotica, yeah. but I think that there is, I think, an increasing amount of, of gay romance. And I think that, um, in fact, someone told me that they almost exclusively read, I think, like, gay NASCAR, <laughs> um, which is just like a very specific, <laughs> just, just gay NASCAR <laughs> 
That is fantastic. I mean, there's. I think there's a lot more of it than you realize. And I think in the advent, which something else that happened is like fan fiction, like really became mainstream, which is yeah. basically what Fifty Shades of Grey is, is that it's yeah. Twilight fan fiction. So people were a lot more open about like kinkiness and, you know, more than just like straight up and up, straight laced heteronormative stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it does, and it doesn't put you in the genre of erotica. Yeah. Right? Like, just just because you have some elements of that. And definitely, I feel like the, a, a big influence is people um, who grew up reading fan fiction as well, moving into the more, uh, the more official, publicized world. Because you see a lot of that in fan fiction as well. It's just a different generation. On one hand, I am like, why the fuck are you writing this book? Like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. One time she wrote, you have to write a complicated character. What kind of advice is that? What? I thought we liked complicated characters. No, no. She she said you need to. So complicated characters are a good thing. However, you ask any, any writer... If their character is complicated, they will say yes. There is no way that a writer would say no. My my character is flat as shit. They would say no way. <laughs> like it was hard for me to read this because I was like, who are you writing to? Who are you trying to help? Because this is really basic information. And at the other hand, like I would think about the people that I knew from writing classes and the people that I know from English classes. And I could just see her just dealing with just so much shit. Like, who do you think these people are that that submit stuff to Harlequin? Like, yeah, let's let's go back because you actually have had classes <laughs> on fiction writing, Wendy. Yeah. Right? So tell us a little bit about the advice you got in class versus the advice that is in this book. Well, it's interesting because the advice that I got in class. So I, you know, I I was an English major. I took a couple of fiction writing classes and, you know, have always been in English classes and I always loved, you know, writing and critiquing and workshops and that kind of stuff. The thing is, is that at least, at least in the writing classes that I took, the information that we got of like how to write a novel was like nothing. Like (laughs) we were, we were just reading novels and then we would write a novel and then we would critique it, and then we would all talk about it. And um, there was just not really any direction. Like, there was a little bit of direction from the writer, I mean, from the professor, you know, but most of the time we were just, like, a whole bunch of college students trying to be the next Hemingway and just, like, (laughs) you know, miring in our own shit, just wandering around. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) I don't want to be an editor because I get really passionate about editing and I become a real hard ass. And especially in classes like that where um, there's a whole bunch of people sitting in a room and for some reason the first inclination is to go, I really liked the part that... (laughs) Tell them, like, this plot line doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, I mean, that was something that this book did a really good job of being like, don't do plot lines that don't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Like she has an example of like 
there's a break-in. You and your neighbor start investigating it. Why didn't you fucking call the police? Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, you would fix probably at least 30% of romance novel problems if you would just make sense. Yeah, and that's that's a valid point. And I feel like a lot of writers are like, ah, that's all right, you know, because there's a definite <laughs> disconnect between creativity and editing and just like the reality of things. And with her, this book is a lot about the reality of things where she reads a book and she goes, why the fuck didn't they call the police? Like, I cannot handle this book because they did not call the police, you know, <laughs> which is a valued argument for a book because you're going to you're going to send this out into the world and you're going to get a whole bunch of people who are like, why the fuck didn't they call the police? You know, exactly. Which I think is funny because like the biggest thing that I had the problem with this book is that and maybe it's just like the nature behind self-help books in the first place is that reading something and intellectualizing it like make a complex character and then you go, okay, I can make a complex character is so different than in practice. Because Mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing about writing is the fact that you need to communicate this thing in your head to someone else. And then Mm -hmm. that someone else gives you an opinion back. And it's like the grossest thing ever. (laughs) You have to come to terms with the fact that maybe you didn't communicate that well. Maybe you you didn't say it the way that you wanted it to. I mean, I know I had a hard time in which like the re- the revisions and re- and rejections thing was very similar to what I go through as an academic because mm-hmm. you get revised and resubmits quite a bit as an as in peer reviewed articles and I remember a lot of the things of like taking a deep breath and like looking at the revise and resubmit and seeing exactly what they wanted done and just doing what they wanted to do mm-hmm. in the way because you you're really emotional and you know they're wrong and sometimes you can tell them that they're wrong but you can't always yeah. right. Yeah. You can't, they can't take it back. Like, they've already put out that review. I think that that was very real for me, but not mm-hmm. about romance novels. But but maybe that is much harder, and I think it's something that you don't think about when you start creating, mm-hmm. is the idea that you have to communicate it to other people, and that you, like, any feedback you get is generally good for you. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if you have to sort of filter it through the fact that the person you're talking to is an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah and and that's like the most important thing is to like be able to keep writing and to keep working when you are constantly getting those hits of you are not communicating to me as much as yeah. you should which especially when you put another layer of like this is a, a form of art and this is my expression it gets harder to accept that because it kind of feels like it's personal you know it does because it is like it is kind of a personal creation it's something you've spent a lot of time on right and it's also just hard it's just hard to hear critiques you know i mean yeah i for a long time i didn't do any creative writing professionally and and now i do graphic design professionally and you know we'll have like i i tend to name my versions 
and it'll go up to like 12 or 13, you know, Mm -hmm. just because there's so many things that you think that you communicated well, and then you come back and you're like, that's wrong. And then you come back again, and it's like, that's wrong too. And you come back again, that's wrong too. And then you just like, send them like four options. And then they go, no, I don't like any of those. You know, (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah, it's a tough process. And you have to have a thick skin in order to be able to deal with it. And I think that's the biggest thing that's missing from this book is the fact that you need to have a thick skin. And I think you need to be listening, right? Yeah. You need to be able to listen to feedback. Like maybe it is that like no one really wants to buy that particular type of romance novels. Don't write that type of romance novel. But like, don't just tell me that. Like... You write Harlequin. Of course, Harlequin doesn't want international romance novels. Like, give me some more data, you know? Yeah. There's no um, data in this book. You would think there would be data, but there's no data. I didn't, wasn't, I didn't take writing classes in my master's or my undergrad, but I was kind of a big poet in high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that I do remember sort of the thing that about creating inside of fiction was it, it it has become such a liberated genre and that there's so many options that it's almost hard to evaluate other people's work because yeah. we're making so many different types of work. I've been in a, quite a few like workshops and editing groups, you know, and that's the hardest thing is that there's just, I mean, there's so much out there that the the part that always gets me, the, the part that I'll, I always think, well, maybe I'm more of an editor than a writer is the fact that I go, if you cannot communicate it to me, then that is worthless. You know, I don't care how pretty your passage is. I don't care if you use this amazing description. I don't care if you put this full bodied character together or had this amazing action. If you cannot communicate it to the rest of the world, it's not helpful. And you should learn how to communicate. There's an element of accessibility that you have to meet in your work. At some point, I'm kind of like, well, I just like feel for this woman. Because she is an editor at Harlequin who has, of all the publishing houses, I feel like Harlequin is the most of like, this is a business. Because they need, they need to have quick and fast output. And, mm-hmm. and they've been going on forever, and they're small novels. So I feel like there's probably some authors out there who are just, like, pumping them out, you know, one after another after another. I mean, it is big business, and, and like, they have distribution through grocery stores, right? Yeah. Like, that's a very different distribution pattern than most publishers. They need a lot of volume. And so she probably mm-hmm. read, like, so much stuff. And I know that... She went through all of these, like all of these things that <laughs> that she talks about, like, you know, maybe your character should have a reason why they love the other character. She's <laughs> read that and she's gone like, why the fuck do they not have a reason, you know? yeah that's true and and i just feel like if i was a if i was a publisher for 30 years or 20 something years or whatever i'd probably write this book just as like a catharsis you know just to like get it all out like don't do this 
don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, because that's what it really is. It really is just her just expunging all of this information. Please do not have a baby that dies or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) People hate that. (laughs) Because she probably just went through a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think she's seen a lot of things through it, but... Something that we talk about is I think we think that the genres have changed. Yeah, a and lot. And maybe it is. Like, I think that there are ways in which the the ways that things are organized and the plot lines that we see have changed quite a bit in that, like, a lot more things involve vampires and a lot more things, um, I think, are in the sci-fi genre. Um, it's a lot more YA. Yeah, this, <laughs> I thought it was so funny when she was like, paranormal is kind of extreme, so you don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's also no new adult. New adult, which is pretty much what Sex in the City is, has really seen a blossoming, right? Mm-hmm. Moving forward, there is a part towards the end of this book in which they talk about the, uh, the 10 plots every editor knows and why they still work. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And there's some of them which which maybe they work, maybe they don't. Are these still valid in the romance world? Marriage of convenience. Still valid. Love marriage of convenience. Love it. Never gets old. Love it. Never gets old 100%. Marry with convenience every time. This is one of those times where you say, this can make absolutely no sense. Like, a marriage of convenience is possibly, in the real world, the worst idea. And possibly, in the romance world, the best idea. It's always the best idea. (laughs) Because who the hell marries for convenience? Who? That's not a real thing. That's not a real thing. But it is a real thing in romance. Yeah. Um, It's the best. Okay. Uh, Okay, number two. Stranded with a stranger. This happens a lot, but it's creepy. Okay, so it depends on where this is. I, I kind of see this as a supplemental plot line. Like, you have two characters mm-hmm. that don't like each other, and they're always at each other's throat. You stick them in, like, a little hovel, and it's raining yeah. and storming, and they have to, like, change out of their clothes, and they're just wrapped oh, in a blanket, no, and there's a fire. And then it's just like, they have to, they have to get together. They have to. I read one Highlander novel where they were always stuck in a bothel. <laughs> Is it bothel? It might be bothy. And okay. I was like, bothy bunking is the best. <laughs> because because it's like this little hut like a that shepherds can use when they're stuck in a storm, you know? So it's this tiny little place that has like a like a rudimentary bed and some blankets probably smell like sheep or something and they always get stuck in the rain and they always have to sit there like almost naked under these blankets and they just (laughs) i just love it but i wouldn't i wouldn't like have that as the full romance like i would have that as a catalyst yeah like a mute cute yeah runaway bride secret baby baby reunion romance Back from the Dead, Mistaken Identity, Women in Jeopardy, The Dad Next Door, <laughs> and then Boss Secretary, Amnesia, Virgin Heroine, ugh, Pregnant Heroine, On the Run, and Rancher Cowboy and the City Girl. First of all, I just want to punch almost all of those in the face. <laughs> I'm 
really disappointed because there are so many more plot lines. There are so many more. Can you think of any other ones? If we're if we're gonna if we're gonna do like Dad Next Door taking care of the kids, yes. is one taking care of the kids. Also, together. Um, having a bet that's a big one. Yes, bet. I'm sure that having a bet towards you know like I'm gonna hang out with her or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that predates 2004. Like yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty it's I think it was a pretty universal idea or like a la Taming of the Shrew, right? The yeah. idea that you're supposed to romance someone mm-hmm. and then you fall in love with them, like how to lose a guy or the opposite where you're trying to get rid of them, mm-hmm. how to lose a guy in 10 days. Or like she's all that. She's all that was my favorite when I was oh, a young yeah, she's all that is pretty good. And they always go, it was a bet. And they're just like yes. so surprised. And then they're yeah, okay with bets. it. I think there's also like private eye Ooh, um, yes. where the guy is a police officer and the lady is a private detective. Ooh, that's so that good. I'm reading a book like that so right now. I feel like that happens all the time. Yeah. And he's like a straight lace police. But that's also and paranormal. And she doesn't know about paranormal. Yeah, that's that's true. There's also, um, and this is important, the which type of magical creature are you going to date? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to, a la Twilight? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the like, love triangle between a, love a triangle, human, a vampire, yeah. and a werewolf? Yes. It's always a human and a vampire a and a werewolf. It's always a human. They also don't have the best friend, right? Your mm. best friend. Um, yeah, who you fall in love with suddenly, or like, or ooh, or marriage pact. Marriage oh pact. yeah, like like if you or in Regency, they're always them. like childhood sweethearts, or like mm-hmm. she's really into him and he's like weeded out because she's a kid, and then um she grows up and then he's okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> best plot line to yeah, bring up. Yeah, I guess that's not the best. <laughs> also, <laughs> also pretend husband and pretend date. Oh, pretend, pretend like, boyfriend. Like, like what we read last time, yeah. right? Yeah. Pretend husband in Regency is the best. Especially with amnesia is hilarious. When they're like, um, yeah, I'm totally married to this guy that's about to die. And then he doesn't die and he wakes up and he's like, what's going on? And then, like, I guess we're married. <laughs> they don't have it on here, but here's another big one. Mm-hmm. The um, human offering. The lady who offers herself to a king slash pirate slash whatever um, in exchange for something. Yeah. Which is kind of a marriage inconvenience in his own way. Yeah. And then he ends up being really nice. Marriage of convenience has many forms. I know. Because it's so great because they're together already. But they yeah. don't know it. Then they have to get to know each other. That's yeah. one of my favorite parts. Oh my god. That's the best part. Um, also, that probably, that plot line in particular is probably very heavily influenced by Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. Ooh, also, Bodyguard. There's no Bodyguard in here. Oh, yeah, Bodyguard. Bodyguard is the best. Oh, because the Bodyguard is a bitter, scarred veteran that has to deal with, like, a weirdly cheerful girl. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is the best. Yeah, and then there's always a, all sorts of like things that he has to protect her from, and she like will be naked or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also the we need to like you, we have special skill sets, and we need to go and defeat the bad guy mm-hmm. in a quest environment. Mm-hmm. Like we don't like each other, but we have to work together. There's also like uh, the the woman wears pants. That's that's a oh, big yeah. plot line. It's like a version of mistaken identity, but you think that, like a la Mulan, you mean? Yeah, definitely. Man, we are really oh, we are really deeply affected by Disney princesses, aren't we? Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I was looking up ways to submit manuscripts to different companies, and I was on mm-hmm. the the Avon thing and all of the avon editors are very young they're very mm. our generation which i thought was very mm. interesting and also i feel like they all are heavily influenced by disney characters <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that one of like the male archetypes that i thought of that's not on the list is the wounded warrior oh i love wounded warriors uh. i love it or recluse I love the recluse. the recluse. I was also slightly offended by um, the section where she talks about heroes and he. So there's the alpha male, and we all know mm-hmm. that that exists. Mm-hmm. Good job. You just mentioned the most yeah, basic congrats. version you, of a hero. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then she's like, then there's the beta male, who's like kind of nice. And I was like, I love beta males. Though. <laughs> You're always on that team. I'm always I also on felt the beta. like I'm like I feel like everyone's a beta male that's not an alpha male. That's not a type of character. That's just a person yeah. who has normal normal abilities. <laughs> and I think to deal there's with like humans. there's alpha male, and then there's beta male, and then there's also like the lone wolf. You know, like the one that's mm-hmm. a recluse that doesn't like other people. He's he's not yeah, good like with the, things. The, so- it's sort of like a bad boy. Like, it's a specific type of bad boy. Yeah. Like, the person who doesn't hang out with I call people. them growly. Because they growl. Yeah. 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 They're, yeah. they're sort of grumpy. Yeah. In the um, shifter world, they're usually bears. Yeah. <laughs> they're usually bears. <laughs> I love shifters. Uh, shifter novels. Yeah. I mean, so shifters are obviously not on this. Obviously not. Sort of urban I'm a little fan, offended. Fantasy. I, I really do think that they are a big part of what we read. Yeah. Um, in general, and I think a lot of people read. I, it's fair to say that um, our biggest overlap, you and I, is paranormal mm-hmm. romance. That's true. I, I think I am more understanding of contemporary romance novels um, than you are. Yeah, I hate those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll read. I'll read contemporary. And you, but, um, you hate um, Regency, don't you? I'm not the biggest fan of Regency. I'll read Regency. I think I just don't. I'm not a big person about keeping with series. Is I guess I'd say. Um, like I'm not that interested. Uh, Regency. In it. It's part of my heritage. Yeah. <laughs> my mom passed it down to me. Yeah, I love it. Regency romance novels. Urban fantasy with private eyes is definitely the best. Yes. Well, private eyes in general, I think, is not something she really mentions very much. She has mysteries, but I think private eyes is a very specific area. I mean, the, especially urban urban fantasy private eyes, a la, I'm trying to remember the name of the author who does a lot of those. 
Um, Alona Andrews? Yeah. Well, Alona Andrews especially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are just describing Alona Andrews' books. Um, I love them. Which, by the way, I feel like it's his own trope, like, separate from alpha males, is the king. The king? I think as women, we really like men who are who are in positions of power. Yeah. Oh, she she misses out on the whole millionaire CEO bullshit that's going on these days. Yeah. Yeah, million rich men, rich men. Royalty. Um, yes. Also, um people who are pretending to be poppers or princes. Oh aren't. yeah. I love yeah. that plot line. Oh, or the plot lines where they have to get married after a certain amount of time. Oh yeah, they their inheritance kicks Inheritance. in yeah, yeah yeah but they have to do things by or like point. they're suddenly they suddenly become a duke or something yeah I love like they weren't before but now they are a lot of regency that i read there's like the woman is an estate manager and has been dealing with the shit for a long time and then the guy shows up and he's like what's going on <laughs> yeah, the inadequate dude that's trying to take over your business. Yeah. I feel like that's you've got mail, right? <laughs> yeah. Who also maybe is a millionaire. <laughs> is. But you don't know But he's that. also Tom Hanks. But he's also Tom Hanks. I feel like Hanks. Tom Hanks is himself a subgenre. I'm just like this like <laughs> kind of fun, friendly guy. Kind of fun. Just good. Looks like he'd be good at playing, you know, um, tag football. I think I just hey read guys. a book that could be that could be <laughs> played by Tom Hanks. As played by Tom Hanks. <laughs> as played by Tom Hanks, people. Yeah, that's a subgenre. <laughs> subgenre as played by Tom Hanks. Anything else you want to talk about in terms of this book or <sighs> She didn't mention like the supremely angsty vampires. Supreme yes. angst. Supreme angst. Oh my god, so dramatic! I do not have time for them. I do not. Well, I I love. I kind of like them. I will say, and this will probably lose me friends, <laughs> but I didn't hate Twilight. You didn't I hate Twilight? Twilight. I didn't hate Twilight. What is wrong with you? Some of the things he says, I agree, sound really stupid, but they're really cute in the context of the book. <laughs> I read just the first one, and I didn't hate it. I felt it was it was pretty readable as a book. I've not read Fifty Shades. What? I should. I'm but I'm reevaluating my entire friendship with you. <laughs> She's like, I don't know if we can ever continue this. If this is the end of the podcast, <laughs> listeners, you knew why. You can see it. You can see it ahead of you, and you kind of understand. <laughs> I mean, it's it's Twilight, Alana. Like I know. Twilight. Well, I had to know. I mean, people talk about it so much, so I, I read it. But I, read I it remember my standards. My standards are so low, Wendy. That's you true. know that. Like, I read a lot of trashy books. It's just another trashy book. Yeah. I don't consider it, like, good, good. I just consider it as not as bad as um, the bo- this, this <laughs> writing romance novels for dummies. <laughs> Do you think this was the worst book that we've read? um no i think that um i mean as far as like things that piss you off this whole book about how um women are not smart and don't understand paper clips Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty high 
on your list. You know? Yeah, that's pretty bad. But is it worse than the Fae? <laughs> um, and breaking like like the stalactites, right? <laughs> like that was pretty bad. You're just forgetting. You're forgetting how bad that book was that we read. <laughs> that was your fault. I I take you know you're forgetting Pirate Prince. Do you remember Pirate <laughs> Prince, Wendy? Yes. There's so many different princes. <laughs> he was really a prince pirate, even. Uh, pirate um, prince, that was not good. That was not, that was not elf, good. Elf hate. What was that? Elf. <laughs> the flame and the arrow. <laughs> the flame and the that arrow. Was that good. was That was so bad. I think that's worse than reading this book. <laughs> I think. So you could at least skim this one. <laughs> the context of... The publishing world has changed so much in just this time, mostly because of the recession when publishers started closing and Kindle started happening. So self-publishing was okay. And now everybody self-publishes. And I, you know, did I ever tell you that I worked for a publisher for a while? No. I, um, I don't know. Worked is a, is a relative term i was an intern unpaid uh (laughs) as for an editor for an editor for a uh small independent publishing company in in portland that is now closed so i read some uh submissions and i was supposed to write rejection letters and at that point this was when I just graduated and I was working at Joann's and I was like I need to have an internship at something because I need to figure out how I'm going to use this freaking English degree (laughs) (laughs) and so I interned at a publishing company and the publisher actually told me like we do not accept anything these days because it is so hard to publish something it is so hard she said that basically the only genre that is really publishing is uh ya because during the recession this was 2008 people can um rationalize buying books for their children they cannot rationalize buying books for themselves you know, mm-hmm. so we were rejecting everything, and I was reading some submissions, and they were just really not good. And you're supposed to put in the submissions like, "Thank you for your submission. We loved it. The only thing is," <laughs> and the the editor part of me was like, "This book needs to be fucking." torn apart and i was just like maybe you should look into getting your heroin a little bit more interest you know that kind of stuff but um but yeah that was that was a fun time being a editor that sounds depressing that sounds like maybe it impressed upon you that you shouldn't go into publishing yeah apparently i i mean obviously i did not <laughs> also in that way is that like we like to say in in, in my school that that's actually a fruitful internship because it told you that you hate it mm-hmm. so, but yeah i mean i'm not i'm not unsurprised i mean some of the things they said i i think it's very likely that you have to kind of let people down 
easy or even like you when you want something you have to kind of ask for it in terms of these revise and resubmits mm-hmm. um i was and and it's clear that the editor has seen many many of their people who could not take that mm-hmm. and i could understand that as well if you have strong opinions enough to write a romance novel you probably are attached to certain elements of the plot right um uh, a little bit and you think that you know this kind of genre even if you've written romance novels before mm-hmm. right and gotten them published i do have to say that but, there were some there were some times that she said things that i was like thank fucking god because i was so tired of them <laughs> like for instance um she said that she did not care about really flowery passages and I really could not give a rat's ass about flowery passages. It's kind of like American Beauty where the the grocery bag, you know, is doing this dance in the wind. But unlike American Beauty where there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, mm-hmm. it's just that. It's just that plastic bag. It's just the bag. And the, the characters are flat and the story is uninteresting. But there's some really great moments where we think about a plastic bag for a while. Like, that's that's <laughs> fiction 101 for me. <laughs> and I feel like when you focus on writing the great, ne- the next great American novel, you get stuck mm-hmm. on a lot of that kind of stuff. I don't know. I like a good flowery passage. I like a passage that is, is like, I can tell it has been written well. Um, I, I enjoy that as a, as a reader, mm. but I agree that if it's too flowery, it becomes pretentious. Yeah. And if it doesn't further the story, then you're wasting our time. You're just wasting our time. Oh, well, I think it's flowery passages are especially not important in romance novels where yeah. everything is character driven. Like when I think about really excellent romance novel sequences, they involve the, the um, interactions between the characters. Mm-hmm. As far as this book helping me write my next publishable romance, (laughs) I don't think it was particularly revolutionary. There was a lot of things that I said, oh, thank God somebody is is also agreeing with me on this. But there wasn't a lot of things like, there wasn't any like, oh my God, revelation, you know. And we were also saying before that we were really disappointed by the sex passage. So there's a thing about how to write sex scenes. Yeah. And it is the least explicit description of how to write sex scenes ever. Which is weird. Because I think that, for one thing, um, make sure you, um, you proofread really good because you don't want to have the wrong pronouns. And then also, I think it's a descriptive and it is a little bit of a playing out of character. I think also something that we've noticed in terms of romance novels is that the sex in romance novels has changed. Yeah, it has changed a lot. And I feel like that's probably the most important way, the most important thing about romance novels is the sex scenes. It's always the most worn part of the romance novel, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The the dog-eared passages. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I read about how um, Audible is sending out this, this they're testing out this new thing that is for romance readers, and it's unlimited, 
because romance readers read a lot. And also, they figured out an algorithm to find the places where they're sexy. So that that they sounds can... like an April Fool's joke. That can't no, be No, it's Is true. It's true. They figured out an algorithm. I don't know. Maybe they were looking for uh, velvet over steel. <laughs> That's my favorite metaphor. Velvet over steel. <laughs> Considering that romance novels, the main, the the sex scene that happens, mm-hmm. this was just really disappointing because there is a particular way to write a sex scene depending on the subgenre. Some of the decisions you have to make in a sex scene is what are you going to do with clothes? Mm-hmm. Are they going to rip them? Are they going to take them off? Are they already naked? Mm-hmm. What kind of words are you going to use? Yeah, what what types of organs are you going to use? Are you just going to like kind of say like down there, you know? Or are you going to just use yeah. like the whole vagina word? You know? Yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna say manhood? <laughs> Throbbing manhood. Throbbing manhood. Right. Mm-hmm. What What What? You got to put adverbs in there too. Yeah. Throbbing, pulsing. And what's I mean? And it changes so much in in the genres because I feel like the shelf life on particular terms is very short. You know. I also feel like in modern romance novels. I mean, she alludes to the fact that like. Having sex is not you doesn't have to be the one time that they have sex when they when they declare love. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in modern romance novels, people have a lot more sex. Depending on the genre. And it's a lot less of a big deal. It depends on the genre. Certain genres, you will know that they are very explicit. And certain genres, you know that they are going to go, and down there, dot, dot, dot. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, and then, and then they'll be like, a la, what's that? Tamora Pierce, the um, the Alana series, and Protector of the Small. These are YA books. They have a lot of sex in those books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always like, and then we had sex the next day. <laughs> or like the wedding date when they had like tasteful cutscenes. Like in YA and other areas, you're always going to cut. But you might um, have elements of it, like we were talking about how there's a lot more oral sex in modern romance yeah. novels, particularly on women. The farther you, you go back, the more you're just going to have some P&V sex. Yeah. She sometimes talks about the almost sex scene that tides you over until you get to the actual sex scene. That's a uh-huh. real thing. A lot of romances do that, and a lot of romances these days at least do that with oral sex, um, specifically oh. going down on the woman, and you just do yeah. not see that in the earlier ones. And you also have an escalation penetrative sex into, like, light bondage, mm. I guess I'd yeah. say, in a lot of, and particularly in more explicit romance novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a little bit of that. It's almost like having to do with the comfort level inside of our society. Paranormal romances are just really kinky. <laughs> they don't, yeah, sometimes they, they do become, I mean, Fifty Shades started as a paranormal romance, right? Is that so? 
I think think that affects the genre, right? What's allowed. Mm. I mean, think about TV now, like Game of Thrones, and compare it to yeah. TV in 2005. Like, it's just all become more explicit. That's, that's like one of the biggest beefs that I have about people who look down on romances. Like, people who look down on romances are like, oh, it's just a bunch of sex, yeah? And it's like, you fucking watch that all the time. Like, you were watching Game of Thrones, and they just casually rape someone. Casually. I'm talking about consensual, mostly vanilla sex here. Well, and also they just have a lot of sex, period, on on it. And it's really, if you think about the description of romance novels as being about character development, then Game of Thrones is a romance novel in many ways. It has too many characters. But it is about relationships, mm-hmm. fundamentally, I would say. Relationships and dragons. Those are the two things. <laughs> it's, just, it's just weird. Romances haven't caught up to the current mainstream sex that's out there, you know? Well, at least in this book, right? Like, I think it makes clear that there maybe are different roles, right? And maybe if this was written differently... It would be written, I think it would be written differently, possibly. I mean, I don't know if this author would necessarily see those changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the advice that she gives is not only condescending, but it's also not helpful. It's not backed up by examples very often. Yeah, it's the examples are so vague. Yeah. And it's also, it doesn't take the reader's work very seriously. And I think that... Possibly if I were to write this, I would say keep writing and also be open to feedback because that is the biggest thing. I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with somebody who has written something and they will not take any kind of criticism. She talks about this and she talks about that and she talks about do's and she talks about don'ts, you know. But none of that matters when you put your hand to the keys or you put your hand to a paper and a pen and you have to, like, make your own thing and you have to make it out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you intellectualize all of this stuff, you can say, yeah, yeah, totally, it makes sense to, like, you know, figure out if there should be a 911 call or not, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the end, when you're writing the story and you are attached to the story and somebody says, why don't they call 911? And you say, well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens a lot more than you think it does. That's not, you're not going to be a big author because if you can't take criticism, then you can't communicate well and then you can't become part of the community, you know? Yeah, it's the moment where you stop being a creator and you start being part of the community as a writer. Yeah. Right, like you have to you have to deal with that other part of it. But I think it's hard. It's hard as a creator to... It's hard. Um, to under to separate... Um, that they have respect for your work, but that they see problems mm-hmm. with it. There's a lot of times that I do that, even when it's, like, stuff that I don't care about, where I'm like, I just yeah. don't want to fucking change this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just reaches a certain point where, like, it gets really exhausting to create. 
Mm -hmm. Um, like as I write, um, like articles, like it's just really challenging to wonder like what's going to be rejected. Yeah. You know, cause it take it's hard to take it first, not to take it personally. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing would be like to keep writing and to just listen. Like that's, that's the book that I would write for this, how to write a romance novel. Just fucking listen. Yeah. I read, and I think it's one of the best books I've read all year. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, possibly the best book I've read a year. The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America by Richard Rothstein. Mm-hmm. Super good. 100% recommend it. It's not that long. I think it's about 300 pages plus like another 200 pages of footnotes, which as a librarian, I love. <laughs> uh, uh, so well referenced. Loved it. Loved it. It's all about... Um, the ways in which segregation worked um, beyond uh, uh, self-segregation and uh, like restrictive covenants. So what are other ways that this happened? So through um, the types of housing that people were allowed to make and, 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 you know, a lot about um, the West and how the West was sort of created, created suburbs and things like that. Mm. Really great. 100% would recommend it. Loved it. Cool. It sounds really interesting. What are you reading, Wendy? I am reading Shifter <laughs> Romance. <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same yeah. thing from, you know, social justice and the systemic racism <laughs> that we have uh, just continued to live even in this day and age. I am reading about wolves and grizzly shifters and tiger shifters and honey badger t- shifters i'm still reading she- shelly lawrenston um i'm at book nine of the uh, series that is the precursor to the honey badger series and i just love it and i am sad that it's gonna end <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like bob's burgers like you would just like put it on the background and just enjoy it you know and you know Mm -hmm. that they're always going to get together and you know that the next the next book is going to be a different couple that is going to get together in a different way and i just love it so Mm -hmm. i'm enjoying that i guess that's something also this um our main book didn't talk about is like extended universe getting together series Mm mm-hmm which is, like, a big thing of what we read, where, like, it's a different couple, and it's about their story. I do love that. I love that. I love personality, and I love quippy conversations, and I love that there is no purple passages. There's nothing that's trying to be extra poetic. There's nothing that's trying to be, like, oh, I looked at a swirling grocery bag and realized that that's the world. It's just like Mm. people having fun and being shifters and liking each other and getting to know each other. I love it. Well, next month we're reading Master of Ecstasy, which is part of the Mackenzie Vampire series, number one, Mm -hmm. by Nina Bangs, which is the best name for a romance novel author. Bangs. Nina Bangs. Nina Bangs all the time. And I'm going to read a little bit about um, the book. Blythe Spirit. Her trip in time to 1785 Scotland was supposed to be a vacation. So why did Blythe feel that her stay at the Mackenzie Pile of Stones had 
her imagination working overtime. So why wasn't she at all surprised when the first hunk she met turned out to be Mr. Dark and Evil and Deadly himself, an honest-to-goodness vampire? <laughs> His voice was a tempting way above 88.6 degrees, but when Darak whispered to waste a neck such as yours would be a terrible thing, she decided his pillow talk left a lot to be desired. <laughs> Dangerous? You bet. To die for? Definitely. Soulmate? Just wait and see. Just wait and see. The answer Just to that is yes. See. If anybody's uh, sitting yeah. on the edge of their seat. We're going to read that with my sister. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, and we are going to be reading that while Wendy is in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And her sister, what's your sister's name? Becky. Becky. Becky will be on there. Um, and will give probably a much better Scottish uh, accent. No, she didn't. Right? She can't do that. She can't do Scottish accent. She can't do a Scottish no, accent. She can't do any accents. Oh, yeah. Um, this is the biggest failing of Becky. Her husband isn't even Scottish. It's the her worst. Her husband isn't Scottish either. No. He's so, British. So I have to tell her why she how she ended up in Scotland. So thank you for listening to Getty Lit, available monthly on iTunes. For extra bonus features for this episode, you can visit gwenwendy.com slash s2ep7, meaning season 2, episode 7, where you can read more about Wendy's various adventures. You can follow Alana on Twitter. And you can watch that video. Yeah, you can even watch the video. You can watch the video that will be on that uh, gwenwendy.com slash Season 2, Episode 7. You can follow Alana on Twitter, at Librarian Lana. What's the best type of romance novel, Wendy? The trashy kind, Alana. Yay! <laughs> Vienna Lana's podcast. Wendy and Alana's podcast. Get literary, get literary, woo!